0: Hello kiddos and cadets, welcome back to your favorite podcast about citrus, omnipotence, jokes, and the end of the world. It is Monday, March 23rd, and welcome back to day seven of Quarantine Live. All right, friends, we're back. I hope you're doing well. I have my glass of actually what is water. It is water. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking that. I hope you're having something a little stronger today to join us on day seven of our journey. Um... Things are starting to feel much, much different, I think, out there. I think after having a week of this gone by, um, it definitely starts to solidify what situation we're in and just how fun it is. Uh, Let's get right into the updates. Here are the numbers from the CDC website. So this would be in the United States. Cases are up to 33,404 and the death toll is up to 400. So we took Sunday off yesterday um, to spend time with our families and our brains and kind of buckle down and really feel what we're feeling and also give me a chance to not talk into a microphone for my own sanity. I don't know which one's worse at this point. But those numbers have uh, doubled since Saturday uh, night. That's exciting. And the world numbers are uh, 374,717. And the deaths are 16,350. In my last podcast, I said that I should try to sound somber about that. And I spoke to my friend Doug about it a little bit. Um, because it can be hard and desensitizing when we see it on the news all the time to actually feel genuine sadness about numbers. Uh, there's not a lot of connection that we have to a number to really understand how big it is. Of course, it's terrible that people are dying. But if you uh, have a feeling that you should be feeling more empathetic or worse or or really sad about how large the numbers are getting, it, it can be very hard to attach um, an emotion to to a number, to an arbitrary thing, because once we're, once we're above 10,000, I mean, it becomes difficult to actually picture how large that is. Um, so if you're in the same boat with me, don't worry, we're going to make some jokes about some headlines in a second. Um, the updates that I have for me is that I took yesterday off, and what I did with that is I had a date night, so I actually got on Skype and poured a glass of wine and had a date with somebody, and it was really lovely, but... It became sad at the end that I wasn't able to actually talk to them or touch them. Hey, Um, But the wine was delicious and the company was good. So if you're out there doing that also, um, power to you. And if you're not doing that, power to you also. Um, I am working on this vlog of what I did in L.A. at the Magic Castle. And it becomes um, harder and harder to sift through the footage of me outside in the warmth, driving a car and eating um food not in my own home and at a restaurant. Wow, what a what a novel idea. What a novel virus. Um we are up to 200 listens now, so we have 200 listens across all of our episodes. I've had a lot of friends reach out ever since David's letter on what I believe is episode 5 if you want to go listen to that. And more and more friends reached out to share stuff on the podcast today. So we're going to have a lot of interesting stuff at the end of this podcast, so please stay tuned. We have a a story being shared from Kyla and uh, more texts from Kara, of course, so stick around for that. Um, I watched this show on Netflix called The Hundred Humans. It is the worst show I've ever seen in my life. If you've seen this show, let's talk about it because it's so bad. It's supposed to be scientific and have like different people doing things that would make us learn something, but it doesn't. It, it's, it has no respect for the scientific process. It is so stupid. It tries to be funny, and it is not. I hate all three hosts on it, and if you have seen 100 humans on Netflix and you just wanted to vomit the whole time, talk to me also. Let's vomit into each other's mouths. That's all we can do at this point in the world. Um, Fortnite, which I'm playing with Jason, has me scared that i'm going to start liking fortnite because i've never been a gamer and when i was teaching summer camps two years ago all of the 10 year olds were like are you on fortnite are you on fortnite let's hang out and it's like there's a lot of problems with me being in a chat room with you after camp but one of the biggest ones is that i don't like gaming and now i'm playing fortnite with jason and it is so fucking fun i can't stop we played for three hours straight yesterday help me or play with me my tag is clearview101 um I'm reading a book. I just finished Bad Blood. Now I'm reading Trust Me, I'm Lying from Ryan Holiday. And it's Confessions of a Media Manipulator and how the media is so easy manipulated. And it's a very uh, good read right now. It's a little outdated with some of the blogs it talks about, but it's a good read right now for everything that's happening in the media. So I recommend that. Um, I'm starting to get worried about how long this is actually going to be. I think a lot of us thought this would be a temporary thing and we would all move on. And it's starting to look more and more like this is the rest of our lives and I was thinking you know like I'm telling people I'll be back in New York in May do you think that that's realistic how long do you think that this is going to take hit me up on Instagram at Mark Clearview um, there's also some other crazy stuff going down like Newfoundland one of our provinces is um, it, making it mandatory to stay inside but also if you go outside and they catch you I think it's if you have just traveled, and you come back, and they tell you to stay inside for 14 days, and you're caught breaking that, it's a fine of up to $2,500, and up to six months in prison, and in Honduras, as we know, they have armed police officers making sure people stay inside, and it looks like more and more countries are really cracking down on how tough they're going to be on people, and all I can say is it it starts to feel a bit like 1984, you know, but also... Uh, Not the year, the the book by George Orwell. Um, You know what? I don't even want to talk anymore. Let's get into our headlines for the day. Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. Welcome back to our headlines for the day. Number one, Britain says it will find residents who defy stay-at-home orders. Oh, that's good. That should inject some money into their crumbling economy. Modern problems require modern solutions, after all. You can still leave to buy food, but who's really rushing out to eat British food? It seems a bit extreme for exiting your home. I mean, haven't we all made exit mistakes, Britain? Ooh, oh, I'm dabbing. You can't see it. Next headline. Wall Street struggles as Congress stalls stimulus package. I can't believe they can't find common ground. I mean, aren't they both famous for a giant bull? Wording thing. As Congress stalls, the average American continues to stimulate their package at least three times a day, so... Next headline. New York is now the... Remember New York, that little city? New York is now the center of the U.S. outbreak. Number one pizza, number one hot dog, number one coffee, number one most infected humans worldwide. We didn't need this news. New York would be the first to tell you that it's the center of the universe. I can honestly say that I'm shocked that New York City, a city where the rat population outnumbers the people population, is somehow unhealthy? What are you talking about? Next headline. Viral trend of teenagers coughing on produce emerges. Uh, don't. Please don't do that this. Take it from me. Doing something incredibly stupid for views almost always pays off, both visually and monetarily, so I don't know. Each, do you think do you think kevin next headline prime minister justin trudeau says there is no tolerance for those dodging orders to socially distance he said you all think you're invincible you're not enough is enough actually he said it like this you all think you're invincible you're not enough is enough like bane get it because it sounds dystopian Ironically, Trudeau made this speech from self-isolation after he refused a coronavirus test once his wife was diagnosed. He was like, don't think that you're immune to this. You're not. I am. Except me. I'm fine. I am invincible. You guys, though, come on. Let's chill. Next headline. All non-essential workplaces ordered to close in Ontario. This has now been announced for, what, the third time? Doug, we get it. You're taking action for once. Just take the action once and move on. I think it's just because Doug Ford keeps changing his mind about what is essential and what's not. Like before, it was all non-essential restaurants are closed. Of course, this does not include Eastside Mario's, KFC, and the Cheesecake Factory. Those are totally essential. Imagine if Rob Ford was still mayor. All non-essential businesses are to close. Except, of course, strip clubs, casinos, and Pinball's crack den behind the Eaton Center dumpsters. Next headline. Germany's infection curve could be flattening off, Public Health Chief says. Oh my god, this is actually good news. Germany said they declared a war on this virus we all had to remind them to just you know choose your words carefully germany next headline plans to allow putin to continue in power could be shelved can we not just shelve these plans can we do something a little more final like burn or burial other big questions are hitting russia around this time as well like will you be postponing the american election this year next headline bbc tweets that drinking cow's urine does not stave off coronavirus and my only question is did, who th- the fuck thought that that was a thing that would do that. Who are you wanting to not do this? I would say that sounds like a load of bullshit, of course, but more accurately, it's a bunch of bovine piss. When Trump heard of this baseless rumor, he said, leave my people alone. And that is your news for the day. Hey, welcome back. I hope we're having fun so far. God knows I'm not. Look, it's a lot to sit here and speak. No, no, I am. I am. I am. I'm having fun for you, for all of us. I am. I am shouldering the weight of this entire virus, and without me, we'll never make it through. Let's be honest. Um, here's some updates from. No, 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 no updates yet. Everyone, fuck off. Let me let me host the podcast, okay? I want to tell you a goddamn story, and this one's really interesting because I was thinking. I don't want to tell a story about breaking in, and I was trying to, you know, rack my brain, and there's a story, let me finish my sentences, I was trying to rack my brain for a story that I haven't told in a while, or haven't told at all, and there is a story from my times traveling, (laughs) what am I trying to say? There's, um, hey, if you're just tuning in right now, um, whoever tunes into a podcast, 12 minutes into it, can you send help to, um, an address I'm not going to say on the air, just what I want you to do is send an ambulance to every house, and I'll be in one of them, and Mark Clearview is the name. Thank you. This is the story about the time I almost died in Qatar. Okay. For those of you who don't know, I'm a magician, and I travel the world doing magic, and I was invited to do a show of The Little Prince, but it was told through um, circus performers and dance, and I was the magician in it, who played the narrator. And I did comedy and magic and acting, <laughs> which is something I'm not very good at. And we took it over to, even though I'm classically trained in it, we took it over to Qatar, um, Doha, Qatar. For those of you who don't know, Qatar is in the Middle East, and it's one of the richest, I think it is the richest country in the world per capita. And you can see that because there are Sections of it which are totally, you know, beautiful and like diamond-studded Lamborghinis and machines where you can buy gold bars from, and then there's just actual ghettos where it, the poverty is is rampant, and you can just see the difference within like a like two-mile radius, right? so you'd be traveling and driving and then all of a sudden you'd be in a terrible neighborhood and then you'd be in a great neighborhood so it it depends where you are and we were staying in a hotel in a very good neighborhood it was a five-star hotel and was beautiful and i remember something about this hotel you could smoke in the lobby of the hotel but there was no drinking in qatar you could only drink if you had a license and some very 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 expensive hotels you could drink in their lobby uh, if you were a tourist and not clearly not a citizen of qatar And they take all of this very seriously, and you're not allowed to like go into one of the girls' rooms in a hotel, and you know we all have to be separate. And so it it was—it's culture shock for sure, but it's such a beautiful country. And we're doing the show one day, and we get home, and in our contract, it's very clear. It says that we can't leave the hotel after a certain hour, so we do have a curfew, and our contract could be broken if we decide to violate this because some areas of the city are not great, and. Course, they don't want to have a liability issue with one of us dying, I suppose. We broke our curfew one night because that's what you do when you're together and you want to go out and get wild. And there was this marketplace that I don't remember the name of, but it was basically an open market and you could buy things because that's what a market does. But there was also like shisha places. And I remember this very unique distinction you could smoke indoors in hotels and everything in Qatar, but you couldn't have shisha indoors. That had to be done outdoors. And in somewhere like Toronto or this st- in New York, you would be able to smoke outside and never smoke indoors, but you can shisha inside and not shisha outdoors on a patio. So very different. So you have to shisha outside. So there we're enjoying the shisha and um, having a great time out late beyond curfew, not supposed to be doing what we're doing, so we're keeping it a secret. And then we go to this other hotel, we take a cab to this other hotel and try to get into the very exclusive club on the top because we think that's where we're going to be able to drink. So we all go up into the, uh, the penthouse area of this hotel, and we all are kind of being let in. And then we get stopped because one person in our group is not wearing closed-toed shoes, and there's a dress code, and so they won't let any of us in now. So we start to leave, and I say, no, you know what, no, let's let's go to that ballroom over there and see what's over there. Another breaking and entering story, we sneak into this little ballroom, it's not, we sneak in this little ballroom, and there is a fridge there that's locked, and there's beer in it, and I'm like, I see the Heineken, too bad, but it's beer, and I have lock picks on me, and I could pick the lock and get in, I guess it is, there's a... Okay, so it's definitely a breaking story. There's a lockpick, and we, we want to be able to... I have a lockpick. We want to be able to get in and open it and drink this beer. But Qatar has a very, very strict, like, no theft rule. In fact, just before we were there, they cut somebody's hands off for stealing, and they'd also cut a magician's hands off for doing black magic. So I was about to do two of those things, so I thought we better not. And instead of doing that, we all get back in a cab we go to the hotel because we're just going to kind of party it up there uh, because we've been out past curfew enough already. So it's probably 2 a.m. Yeah, 1 or 2. And we get back. It's me, my friend, Natalie, Trisha, and Shaq. And Natalie reaches into her purse to get her phone out. And lo and behold, she can't find her cell phone. We're like, do people still call it a cell phone? I guess just her phone in this day and age. And we're all like, oh my gosh, where's the phone? How did you lose your phone? And she starts crying and she goes, no, you don't understand. I lost my other phone like only a couple of months ago. And my dad is going to kill me if he finds out I can't find this phone. So we need to find it. And I'm thinking, dude, the phone's gone. We have no idea where it is. We can't go back out into Qatar. We can't talk to anybody about really where to find it because we don't speak the language. So what do you want to do? And so she says, I'm really sure that I forgot it in the Uber. So I say, well, call the Uber. That's all we can do at this point. She calls the Uber. They don't have her phone in the Uber. And I go, okay, there's no way the Uber driver's lying because nobody's going to steal your phone. Just nobody's going to do that. And then Shaq says, we should call the phone number. So we call the, Natalie's phone and somebody answers it. Like, Hello? And they go, oh, hi, blah, 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 blah. There's a bit of a language barrier, but they kind of figure out that like she does have her phone. And, and Natalie's like, where did you find this phone? And she says, in the Uber. So somebody else got in after us and picked it up and took it out. We don't know if we're stealing it. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so Natalie goes, oh, can, I, can you please bring the phone back to me? And she goes, I can't get the phone to you, but you can come meet me at this location. And at this point, <laughs> it's late. That location we look up on a map Is very far away, I think about an hour drive. But Natalie seems beside herself, so we all decide to get in another Uber and go and find it. So we call another Uber, and all of a sudden, no Ubers are coming anymore. Like, there's a cutoff there from when you can even order a car. And we can't get an Uber, we can't get a cab, we don't know what to do. So we go to the hotel front desk, and we say, is there somebody who can drive us in the hotel car to go out here? And they're not usually going to do this at this hour, but they say for us they're going to make an exception. So we take the hotel car, not us. Somebody drives us in the hotel car and starts driving out to this location. And it's these sprawling mansions and like huge, beautiful homes, like compounds really, like concrete mansion homes. And then all of a sudden it stops and it's just like dirt road. And we can see our driver is getting a little nervous about how far we're going. And we end up driving way over an hour. Like, it's been much longer. It's been an hour and a half so far, and we're still driving. And so, you know, it's the dead of night. And then it becomes, like, not a good neighborhood. And then it's just us and our kind of nicest car. And then a white Mercedes pulls up next to us. And all of the people in the car looking at us look very upset with us that we're there. And they're talking to each other and they speed up in front of us and like cut off the car and we're freaking out now because now like we're, we just keep gauging if the driver's nervous or if this is normal and the driver's getting very nervous now so all of a sudden the driver starts going really really fast and like speeding in the next lane but he's still trying to act like everything's okay and so he's trying to get away from this car clearly we enter a roundabout the car follows us we go out all of a sudden there's like screeching and stopping and the driver pulls into this parking spot and puts the car in park and shuts the headlights off and we're like oh my god what's going to happen and we can hear the other car searching for us and like driving and so he lost the tail and this car leaves we continue driving we park the car we get out and the loudspeakers are there with the prayers that are played that are that are played throughout the day and it's playing and it's really eerie hearing that and all of a sudden a woman just shows up outside of a house and there's another woman waiting at the door. And so we see her. And this is in the middle. Like this is not really. It's kind of in a square. Where there's just this one house. And nothing else for miles. And so we stop. And this woman comes out. And we all go out with Natalie. Because we're not just going to let her go out alone. And she hands the phone over. And she says sorry. And then she goes back into the house. I cannot believe we found this cell phone. Now it's about like three or four in the morning we get back in the car we drive all the way back to the hotel the driver visually relaxes we get in the hotel we all sit in the lobby for a bit and laugh and then we go to sleep and wake up at like 10 the next day to go do a show and that is the story about how I definitely almost died in Qatar. Okay, just a couple more updates here and then we're going to end the episode. Um, my friend, David Klein, who you'll remember, his mother uh, just got a phone call today that she won an all expense paid vacation somewhere. And I, I think those robocalls should probably stop at this time because I don't think anyone's winning a vacation anywhere. My friend Carmen already sent me this update. I biked around the neighborhood, stopped by my old friend Maya's house or Mia, I'm not sure. The nice thing about quarantine is you know everyone is home. We hung out six feet apart, chatting on our porch for about a half an hour. She's been making an insect, sorry, she's been making insect resin jewelry from butterfly wings and stuff. That's cool. I said, what else is there to do other than insects, art, and podcasts? I also went into town. Shopper's Drug Mart has a hand sanitizer guy at the door when you walk in. I still see people touching things they could just not touch. Gas prices have never been this low, but no one has anywhere to go. Shame. She also nominated me to do 10 push-ups today on this 10 push-up challenge and I'm just going to tell you, there's no way I can do 10 push-ups, quarantine or not. Um, I don't work out ever. Okay, before I read the texts from Kara, my friend Kyla actually sent me this amazing story because I jogged her memory about something, about all my breaking and entering stories, which this last story was not, let's keep in mind. So I really wanted to read it because I think it's pretty funny. And um, I encourage you to send me more stories that I can read. On the podcast, and then I would love to call some of you and have you tell the story uh, in the phone hole. Mark, I'm writing. Th- oh, Kyla, just for a little context, is one of the aerialists in Raven who I worked with at the Paradise Club and who I will be working with much more in the future at different venues across New York City whenever New York City opens again. She says, I'm writing this as I wait on hold with unemployment. At least I think I'm on hold. There is no sound, and now I understand why hold music exists. I'm currently at 2 hours 32 minutes and counting. In a different lifetime, I worked as a producer and editor for an entertainment company called Spin the Bottle. Our office was the entire third floor of an oversized brownstone-type building on 29th Street between Broadway and 5th Avenue. It was more like a clubhouse than an office. The mini-fridge was always filled with beer, a jar of whippets lived in the big front room, and a full band setup lived in the back ready for impromptu jam sessions. In my boss's office, he had a portrait of himself painted by one of his many alluring ex girlfriends. The painting was larger than life and featured him sitting, wearing only a fully unbuttoned shirt, undeniably erect. <laughs> Anytime we had visitors who might be sensitive, an executive producer from Travel Channel, for example, he taped a cutout fig leaf over his penis. When I started working at Spin the Bottle, the neighborhood consisted of wholesale shops, a store selling computer parts, and a mosque. I have vivid memories of trying to get to the front door while wearing a mini-dress and heels. Oh, how my daily wardrobe has changed. At times, there were so many men praying on their knees that they covered the entire sidewalk and even spilled two or three rows deep into the street. There I was, awkwardly stepping around and over them with my stilettos, mini-dress, and just a thong underneath. Eventually, the Ace Hotel moved in across the street, and that was the beginning of the end. But before it all ended, the hotel had just opened, with a super fancy lobby and giant windows facing our building. One weekend, I was working alone on a project for Verizon. A friend I was secretly fucking, that's another story, the important part is that it was a secret, came by to meet me a little too early, so was forced to wait in the front room. I got a message from another friend, friend in quotation marks saying he had just gotten off the bus at penn station he had to shit really badly and was on his way over i had stupidly told him that i was working all weekend i should have just pretended to not be there or made up a story or something but i didn't i hustled friend number one friend number one into the hallway and told him to wait on the fourth floor until the coast was clear friend number two rushed in to deposit number two groan i know and then went on his merry way I went up to the fourth floor to tell friend number one that the coast was clear. The door closed behind me, but it wasn't an auto lock, so I wasn't concerned. I should have been. The doorknob on the inside was completely broken. We tried to get the knob to catch and open the door, but it just swiveled and swiveled around. I was barefoot. He was wearing Birkenstocks. Neither one of us had wallets, cell phones, or keys. We had to get back inside. I thought for a bit. Going to the roof and getting in through the fire escape in the back door did not work. It was solidly locked. I knew that the windows in the front room didn't lock, you just pushed them open, but trying to climb down the front of the building seemed way too risky. I decided, oh my god, that our only choice was to go down to street level and climb back up. The ground floor jutted out. Further than the rest of the building, the computer shop was closed and had a gate pulled down that was easy to climb as a ladder, so from there, getting to the second floor window ledge wasn't too tricky. From the second to the third floor was the real challenge. It involved standing precariously on a massive AC unit on the second floor and doing a giant diagonal pull-up holding onto the third floor window sill. I got that far, and at 5'4", could just barely reach the third floor windowsill. This was about 10 years ago. I had just barely started aerial training, so my climbing strength wasn't as powerful as it is now. Friend number one told me he would try. Seeing that he was taller, and though I don't like to admit it, better at pull-ups, I thought it was wise to give him a shot. I climbed back down, and he slipped off his Birkenstocks and began his ascent. He made it all the way up to the AC unit quickly, grunted through the extreme diagonal pull-up, holding to the third floor windowsill, wiggling his belly onto it... Pushed on the window and disappeared through the opening. The door buzzed and I ran inside. It was broad daylight. <laughs> no one stopped to watch. No one asked us what was happening. Not one person. On Monday, my coworker asked us all why there was a dirty footprint on top of the black leather couch. I feigned ignorance. Eventually, I did tell my boss the whole story. He thought it was hilarious. A few years later, I was on a lunch break with some coworkers when I got a frantic call from my boss. One of the edit rooms had been accidentally locked from the inside. That particular edit room had walls that stopped about a foot and a half from the ceiling. I rushed back, scaled the wall, climbed down inside without damaging any of the equipment, and opened the door. I wonder if I should include breaking and entering, or we'll do whatever it takes to get the job done, including scaling the outside of a fucking building as a special skill on my resume. I am still on hold. I will write back with an update. Will I ever get through to a human to finish filing my claim? Or will the system continue to fail? Time will tell. Big love, Kyla. Kyla, thank you so much for that story. I can't believe you scaled the outside of a building, you maniac. Please stick to just flying in the air on silks and liras and things that aren't supposed to do that. Or, or scale buildings. It's your life. I don't want to tell you what to do. Um, thanks so much for that. We're going to read one more thing, and then we're going to get out of here. So take it away, me. It's time for Texts. From Kara. Here she is. Buckle up. I'm pretty sure this past weekend was the first weekend in the history of this city there weren't bars open. The streets were eerily empty. My corner dive bar that is usually filled with groups of very trunk trustafarians and woo girls, you know the girls I'm talking about, the ones who yell woo each time they take a shot or a selfie, was empty. It was 9.30 when we walked around the neighborhood, but it felt like 5 a.m. We only passed two people on our 45-minute walk, and despite peeking into a million windows, I saw exactly zero people having sex. Bummer, (laughs) you weirdo. We walked to the grocery store during the day, and the shelves are still devoid of pasta and flour, or pasta. Turns out, everyone was gluten-free right up until the apocalypse started. Gluten allergy, li- (laughs) Gluten allergy, liars! So funny. I've also started establishing bizarre relationships with people that walk down my block. I lean out my window smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee or beer depending on the time of day while listening to Buena Vista Social Club and New Yorkers for the first time in their life look up. I have conversations from out of my second story window like a drunk Rapunzel. My favorite couple of my block just walked by. It's an 85-year-old man, Mike, and his puppy, Yorkie, Gracie. Mike walks slowly and deliberately while Gracie jumps around trying to smell and piss on everything in sight. Gracie wears hot pink outfits to match her hot pink leash, and Mike is constantly dressed like he's heading to work despite being retired for the past 30 years. My internal clock is all fucked up and doesn't know what to do without the daily dose of adrenaline and stress that comes with performing. Today in, things I was saving for a rainy day that I will use now because it's fucking pouring, 8 pills of Valium, $80 worth of $2 bills. Oh my gosh, wow. Austerity measures are in place in our households. So we drink the bottom shelf of a booze first. Nice to see you again, Jim Beam. I thought the end of the world would be more dramatic or cinematic. Turns out it's boring dystopia. Instead of ravaging the streets for food, we're just in sweatpants doing home workouts and reading everything we can find. In the evening, I play with my cat. His toy is essentially a pole with a chain and a furry feathered thing attached to the end of it. He tacks it over and over. I call this practice murder. I've cooked more eggs in the past two days than I have in my entire life. We're eating lemon curd now, speaking in terrible British accents, and pretending we're Mary Berry and judging our baking. What the fuck? Also, cleaning my apartment has led me to find weird things such as a tiny skull, a tiny hand, 24 tiny stick-on crosses, letters from old lovers, this emoji, you should see my face, and a wig I thought I lost. I finished two of my books, panicked, and ran to the bookstore before they closed indefinitely, and bought a book of essays by Charles Baudelaire, and... Theophile Gautier, titled Hashish Wine Opium and Alice Through the Looking Glass. You know where that one is heading. And that's it. Hey Kara, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast every day. You know I couldn't do it without you. And thanks everyone else for listening. You know I couldn't do it without you either. Sorry there's not more to report, but I promise there will be even less tomorrow. This has been day 7 of Quarantine Live. Good night.